Okay, hello with the night. Ready for another Bible study? Great. Uh, where are we are going? Romans uh, chapter chapter six. Um, I would love to just jump on and go to Romans chapter eight because it's my favourite chapter in the whole entire Bible. But uh, last week, I guess a few maybe what has missed the last few weeks, and we are on this this topic of of grace. The first five chapters was about being justified through grace. At one point we were enemies towards God, yet we are justified through the blood of Jesus. We were enemies and now we're absolute friends of the living God. We have been justified through faith, not through good works, nothing ourselves, but through faith in Jesus. And uh, it's been some journey, isn't it? For them that's my stupid Ruth, so I explain for all that. Shall I take another look? You'll get another record then, sorry. And so I'll bring you slightly up to speed. Uh, two weeks ago, I've just put us on the board. Um, but before we start, let's pray. I was reading us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. It says, For we have become partakers of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Like, we come here to Bible study, we do prayer meetings, alternating Tuesday evenings, but we are partaking. Our heart this evening, we say it time and time again, is just not for mere information, but to come and partake of Jesus through revelation. And this evening, my prayer is, as we come round the Word of God, that we would just get our sustenance, just get our feeding for Jesus partaking of the Lord. Would I come to the Word of God um, just to be, just to glean little bits of, who would you say, knowledge, but we come to feast at the table of the Lord. And I just feel as though this evening that we have to come here in mind. Let's partake of the Lord, the giver. This is a feast. So let's pray. Jesus, we are here. We are your people. And we thank you that you are in our midst. And we thank you that we are partakers of Christ himself, the risen Saviour. And God, we must confess it's only you that can reveal you. And we put ourselves like little kids at a party table and we would partake of the very presence, the very wisdom, the very revelation of Jesus. We ask for illumination through your Holy Spirit that you'd shine on your Lord and might become alive in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So last week we are on the first six chapters was about what Jesus did in history, that he died on a cross. And then the next few chapters for chapters six, seven, eight, and nine, it's about far Christ is now. How do we live the victorious Christian life? And then a few chapters after that, it's on about Christ glorified. And one day we'll see him face to face in heaven. And then a few more chapters is on about how that works in our life. And I think the first half of this lesson will be a lot of donkey work. You think what donkey work is? Like the stuff you've just got to do to get all of the good stuff. I would love to just start and inspire you straight away, but we're going to have to do some donkey work. Last week, 
we spoke on Romans chapter 6, and we spoke about the victorious Christian life, and we teen out these verses that were past tense. Okay, if you wasn't aware, I've saved you the bother uh, looking through every verse. It says that we are baptized into Christ. Baptized, that word baptized is immersed, and we identify with Christ. Into his death. It says, doesn't it say we will be raised? It says we have been raised. As Christ was raised for the dead, us have been raised. It said our old man was crucified. It says we are now dead to sin's power. We, are, we have been freed from sin. We have been delivered. We are dead to the law. We spoke, it was about three areas that Christ delivers us for the old man, for the power of sin, and the old husband, which was legalism. And we spoke about this is for Christ done, and because we are baptized into him, he has done everything he can for victory in our lives. And the world that kept on coming, which is our part, was wrecking. Consider yourself alive in him. Consider yourself in Christ. Consider yourself free to live to God. So even if we was trapped in sin, the only time we can that Jesus has already did this, and we can reckon ourselves alive to God, is our only time and the only place, or only thing that we've done, that can stop us being alive in God. Is our own thing? No. So that was the great victory. There that we have got the victory ourselves, there that we've been good enough for the victory, but we spoke about, does that really matter? Because it sounded like a lot of words. Well, it does. And I ended last time by saying this, that if you are gone on a journey, it's very important to care for your leaving faith. And I spoke about how we're going to Tenerife, and if I, had to, if I got my flights muddled, and I'd booked a plane for Tenerife to Aberdeen, but I turn up in Aberdeen, am I going to be in a muddle? Am I going to be confused? Am I going to have a wife? It's annoyed at that. Oh my God, hey kids, it's upset. Yes. And we spoke about how this was resolved departure. That Christ has gained the victory. And we rest in his victory. And that launches us out into this victorious Christian life. And we're going to look at one verse this evening. And it's Romans chapter 6, verse 14. For sin, I could have just skipped past this, but I really wanted to home in on this one scripture because it's a matter of great uh, tension, I think. I'll ask you this, do you think the devil could use a scripture to manipulate God's people? Do you think he could? I think he could. In Matthew chapter 4, Verse 6. Jesus is getting tempted. Bear with me, I cannot maybe sound a bit uh, ironic. Jesus is getting tempted. He's face to face with the devil. The enemy tempts him and says this. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And he says, so he shares a scripture. The devil says, throw yourself down. 
Because there's a scripture that says this. He shall give his angels charge over you. And then he gives Jesus another scripture. Matthew chapter 4 verse 4. Verse 6 sorry. And in their hands they shall bear you up. Lest you dash your foot against a stone. First share in the scripture. The devil. But you try to get Jesus to do. Do something that's near in God's will. Verse 7. Jesus says to him. It is written again though. There's a higher truth going on. Jesus is saying to the devil. You can't just take one or two scriptures. And make a doctrine out of it. There's a higher truth going on. And Jesus says. You can't mess Christians. If the devil throwed a few scriptures, they would just say, Ah, oh, you're right enough. The Bible does say that. And it would have thrown ourselves off the top of the temple. But Jesus says to him, But it is written again, This is the ultimate truth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. That was the ultimate truth. But it's interesting that the devil tried to trip up Jesus. By using a few scriptures. And I think this. The reason I'm speaking about us. This evening. And this scripture alone. I think the enemy can use this. And has used it in my life before. And can use it in Christian's life. To cause him. To stumble. And it's this verse. For sin. Shall not have dominion over you. You. Are not under law. But under grace. I'm going to read that again. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under law. But under grace. You can what it sounds like sometimes. We can do what we want. There is no coming under the law for people that is saved by grace. The, it sort of can give the impression on its own that we don't need to be careful because we're only under the law that's to keep us careful. We're under grace. It can give the impression that we can watch what we want because we're only under law. We're under grace. It gives the impression that we can do for what we are money, we are time. We can steal if we fancy steal, because the law said so didn't steal. Well, we've been saved for that, haven't we? We're under grace. And I think I just want to home in on this and get a biblical perspective of what the Apostle Paul was meaning. Through Scripture, there was not just one use of the law. There's ten uses of the law, and I'm going to home in on three. So maybe you'll find yourself a lot to do something bad. And the enemy will whisper into your love. It's okay. You're not under law. You're under grace. Do you anyway? God will forgive you. So we're just going to have a look and see, is that true? Was that what Paul was on about? There's three types of law. The moral law. Right for them, they want to 
pull a Ken out of the Jewish towns and me, I guess a bash, right? Mishpatim. God's moral law. Ten commandments would be the many, but there's many more. It's how we live we, we justice, with respect, to worship God, love your neighbor, then I covet, then I steal, then I murder. It's God's moral standard. Do you believe that God's a moral God? The, the Mishpatim was God's moral standard for his people that was to shine forth a God of morality. May I speak on this, but Jesus then added to that. <coughs> he says, it was said, do not cover somebody else's wife, but I say, do not lust after somebody in your heart. So Jesus goes deeper and says there's heart sin. It's not just the action, it's heart. Speaks about helping the poor, helping foreigners, sexual relations, God's moral law. And then there's the ceremonial law, which was the festivals. God, that's, I can't really speak in a good Jewish accent. <laughs> I'll just do it, Doric. Hook him. I'm sure it's not. Smell. Hook him. Probably. The ceremonial law. It was the custom of the nation. The Passover, the feasts, cleanliness, and clothing. So you could put clothing, feasts, including Passover, the feast of trumpets. Cleanliness, how it be clean. Every teenager should read about the cleanliness. <laughs> Ceremonial law. And then there's the, the civil law. How to settle disputes. So that would be like the court, that would be if you steal an eye for an eye, give them back, if you murder somebody there'll be a penalty. There was a civil law ordained by God. Three types of law will be offshoots to that, different categories. Remember the scripture, you're not under the law, you're under grace. God did a lot of work to give us moral law, ceremonial law, the civil law. Let's see, do you think any of that applies to you, the civil law? Well, we've already in civil law, haven't we? We're civilians. Does a Christian need to obey the law of the land? Yes. The police? Mm -hmm. oh. oh, yes. So Paul couldn't have been meaning that, so... If I was to just uh, go madly one night, drink a few bottles of wine, put a few bottles of bug fast. Yeah. No, I'm saying I want to do this as just that illustration. <laughs> Grab my car keys because I'm really wanting a pizza. 
jump in my car and start driving towards Marmaris. Blue flashers come on and stop me. And then they draw down your window. Do you think it'll be enough for them to say, listen, dude, I'm not under the law. I'm under a dress. I'm a Christian, in fact, I'm a minister. <laughs> Do you think you'll say, that's okay, you're, you're under the grace of God. Go on your way. It will happen. It's nine of cells. Just like somebody else. <coughs> Caught in the morning and quite right. Maybe some gel type. The ceremonial law, this was God's identity for his people. We're grafted into God's family. You are the priests, it says, continually in the New Testament. That was a shadow. Christ is the reality. And I think we have to obey the ceremonial law. Passover was a shadow. Now you can, if you want to do Passover, you can do it. Just then I think you're getting on a righteousness extra blessing by doing it. This is my view. That it was a shadow. The Passover was a shadow. Christ was a reality. The Feast of Trumpets, it was a shadow. Christ was the reality. Christ was the fulfillment of the ceremonial laws. Father marks you clean. Jesus marks you clean. And you can have a bath as a good Christian and I also a good scrub. God's, God's moral law. And I think this is far many Christians trip up is that we hear the idea that we are not under God's moral law we're under grace and in fact are the commandments and I as being careful keep right watch your relationships watch your heart is new done away with and I think it's just a whisper of the enemy and we see in church today that it's very, very difficult, can be, to teach morals. Because the uprising voices will be under grace, nay under law. Let me just share a few scriptures to keep it biblical. We have in mind, Romans chapter 6, the start of the chapter says this. What shall we say then? It's as though Paul's already realising phase of what I say is going to cause a problem. Folk are going to think that we can just keep sinning. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What did he say start of verse 2? Certainly not. Like this is what you're going to think. Should we do it? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? Chapter 7, verse 7, read us. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. But sin, taken opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desires. It's like when you say a kid, I want to leave a room. If ever you do, do not push that button. If ever you got a If ever you do, do not look in that cupboard. That's dad's special cupboard. 
I'm laying down the law. Something rises within and says, oh, I wish I want to look in the cupboard. Now I want to look in the cupboard. I wish I want to push a button. I wonder what happens when I push a button. This is what Paul's saying. I wouldn't have come for sin is if there wasn't a law. The law made sin alive leads us to Jesus. Apart from the law, sin was dead. Verse 9, I was alive once without the law. When the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. Verse 11, for sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it killed me. Verse 12, therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. The law is holy, the law is just, the law is good. If I believe that God is holy, He is. He's graceful, but we'll come out of then. God is holy. And His law, His morals is holy. God is just. And His moral law is just. God is good. And his law is good. God is moral. His law is moral. God is fair. And his law is fair. I heard somebody say, if we have a really smart view of God's laws and God's morals, we have to have a really low view of God and his holiness and his purity. And his justice. And his majesty. And his awesomeness. Because this holy God. Must have why or life or living. That is indeed holy. This just God. Must have why or life. Laws that we have to abide by. That is holy. We've got to do a little bit more. Donkey work. We've got to let scripture interpret scripture, so this is not just, you think this is me thinking. Somebody find Psalm 19, verse 79. You with me so far? If only gets there, I can just read it. Psalm 19, 79. It's true. Somebody find 1 John 2, 
verse 4, <coughs> we spar book. <coughs> if someone claims I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. Somebody claims to know God, they love God, but disregards God's commandments, that person is. Ooh, that's, that's a lot, isn't it? This is the gospel. When Jesus spoke, it says he spoke as one that had authority and they like the scribes. They came from Bible Jesus spoke out of. Was it the Old or New Testament that Jesus spoke out of? Preached for? The Old Testament. And Jesus, he, he, he seen the Old Testament. He was a word that came flesh. But he managed to preach this. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And it was kingdom authority. And it comes alive. We shouldn't have just park this law, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and say it's irrelevant. There's no moral standard. I'm under grace. Psalm 119. Can't you fair that Psalm and meditate on? It's the biggest Psalm. Psalm 119, verse 1. If somebody gets it, read it. Just verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled that they live and walk in the world for life. And then verse 10, just you read it again. Ten. Ten, verse 10. If my whole heart will I sought thee, or let me not wander from thy commandments. That's King James. That's fine. Let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 165 of the same psalm, please. Take peace of the which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. So I guess why? Great peace of they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Great peace of they that love his law. Joshua was commanded to meditate on God's laws, his word, day and night, near to part fair, near look to the left and to the right. And then it would have went well for him. If we didn't hear the law, what we're left with? Lawlessness. There's two sort of opposite views, I guess. Some would say that the law is completely irrelevant to the New Testament Christian. We're under grace. The other side, we spoke about before, it's ah, about the law. And we... Obtain our righteousness through the good things that we do. But I think that scripture, sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under law. You're under grace. I think millions of Christians can be bound by this thinking that immoral, immorality and grace are dead fellows. They're good friends. So that if I was to go in some 
some lie contrary to God's moral law, that it's very easy to say, well, look, I'm under law, I'm under dress. That some people would say, well, I have to love my brother because I'm not under law, I'm under dress. And some would say, well, I don't have to be, to be generous because I've been freed, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace, and it's a great shame, isn't it? Because God wants us to live a certain way that the victorious Christian life would look like something. And it sometimes feels as though we've fallen into this way that Jesus died for us, to forgive us, to save us, and there's no external expectation on how to live. You care if I'm speaking about it's a pseudo-grace scenario that we're free, and we're free to sin, we're free to live how we want. It's okay. Jesus doesn't really bother about it because he came and he died for us. And I think the biggest challenge that the church faces is correcting grace. This is just my heart. That there was a thinking that, well, do I, do I really need church? Come into church, Disney, Mark, my Christian, already a Christian, therefore come into church and being in fellowship, isn't it really that important? I've been saved out of that, because that's a law, that's a standout. I don't really, I can be somewhere else. It's a church that Jesus Christ meets. It's very difficult these days to tell people fit to do as Christians with finances. Because the thinking is, well, that's law, that's standard. I've been saved for that. Jesus died so I could keep on my money and do it if I want. There's no longer a law, there's no longer a standard. I have to go there. I am free to conduct my finances. I'm free to conduct my habits my tendencies are why I want because I am under grace. <clears throat> I've probably said enough about the, the waywardness. So fit does it mean? Because it must mean something. It says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law. You're under grace. For me, it means that under the law, under the power of the law, did we get this through the law? A right standing with God? Did the law baptize us into Christ? Did the law baptize us into his death? Did the law raise us with resurrection power? Did the standard do that? Did the law crucify the old man, the man before Jesus came out of my life? Did the law break sin's power in my life? Yeah. Did the law free from me from sin? No. <clears throat> Did the law deliver me from the law, the power of the law? And obviously the law kind of marked my dead 
to the law. But grace did. It changed my standing in God that I was an enemy and now I'm a friend. Grace changed my standing so that I've been raised by Christ, that my old man was crucified. Grace broke sin's power in my life. It's grace that frees us from sin. It's grace that delivers us. Paul is saying, under the law, there was no change or standing. You are still just a sinner trying to do good things. But by grace you became a son. Under the law you are dead in transgressions. Just trying with your own strength to be obedient. But grace makes us alive in Christ. <coughs> You're not under the standing of the law. You're now found in Christ through grace. First grateful that they're under grace. The standing and the supply. I'll say this again. Sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under the power of the law. But under grace. We grace came the supply. Far as our strength to obey. Is it in the law or is it in grace? Yes. God asks us to love Him. Can we do that in our own strength? <coughs> Are we expected to? Or is there a grace to achieve that the command expects? If God asks us to be generous, do I just get up one morning and think, right, I need to try and be more generous this morning? Or is there a grace supply that God would do something in my life to fulfill the commandment to be generous? Is there a supply? That's grace. If God's expectation is for me to forgive even my enemies, on your own strength, do you think you can do that? Is there a supply and grace? There's a supply and grace. Honor your mother and father as it is in the Lord that make Go well with you and you may enjoy long days on earth. Is there a supply for that? Is there a supply to love your neighbour as yourself? Is there a supply not to hate your brother and sister? If that is the command, is there a supply if God says died and lust in your heart after another that you're not merited? Is there a supply for that? Is there a supply? That's grace. It was not found under the law. You can't get under the law. But you're not under the law. You're under grace. I could flip a board out, but I'm not going to. Is God's law pure? Is it holy? Is it right? Is it just? 
So there is Allah, and we agree with the Bible, it's perfect. How do we then live the victorious Christian life that lives a life fulfilling Allah? We live under grace, knowing that God has changed our standing. That we're before Him, as the Bible says, pure and spotless and holy. Our sin and shame went on to Jesus. But yet there was another substitution. It wasn't just our sin and shame went on to Him. His righteousness. Was Jesus completely righteous? Completely spotless? Ah, that comes on to that. That's great. That's what the Bible says we have through faith. And uh, I've tripped up with this scripture so much times. I could just do the wrong thing. I'm under grace. Church has got a tuck shop. I like sweeties. We must go. Sometimes I think if I just want to take something and do that pay for it. You have the enemy with spouse. You're under grace. <laughs> yeah, 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 you pay for one thing. Is that right? <laughs> Just a little example. Enemy can whisper things, Christian things, and make it sound so right. But it's just not right. Because God's law is perfect, God's law is holy. And us as Christians have to have a high view of God and a high view of his morals and knowing I cannot reach that. But I'm not under law. I'm under grace, for there's a standing and there's a supply. I love this chapter in Ezekiel chapter 36. I was reading this this, this week. I just love, as I was saying, like a New Testament promise is found in the Old Testament. Because God's gospel is 66 books from start to finish. Ezekiel 36, I'll read it. I always get a bit nervous thinking I hope I've joined doing the right verse that I intended. So if I get this wrong. Okay, Ezekiel 36. Right, I'll get a little bit of background. Israel has rebelled against God. They've lived holy. They've disobeyed him, and God is saying this to them. Because you're in disobedience, my name is getting tarnished. Like, you are my people. And because you're disobedient to the surrounding uh, foreign lands, they think I'm weak. They think I'm immoral. It's like the Christian that just lives like the world. What really must they think? when we speak about grace and hope and change life, if we just live exactly the same as them, but in a conversation we say, well, we're only under law, we're under grace. But God really wanted a people for himself to live like him. Do you believe that? And that is consistent through scripture. And the Israelites didn't live according to God's moral law. And God says, you are a bad reflection on me. My name's holy. You mark me look really unholy. And then he says, I'll go read for verse uh, 21. 
Uh, read for verse 20. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord. Yet they have gone out of his land. I had concern for my holy name. Do you still think God has a concern for his holy name? Which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. They lived carelessly and carefree. Therefore said the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake. Which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of the countries, bring you into your own land. Then, I love us, then I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. I will cleanse you. He doesn't say you've got to clean up your cell. You've got to clean your act up. Your parents ever tell you that? <laughs> you need to clean your act up. He says, look, I've got to clean you up. I'm going to fulfill the cleanliness. I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from all your idols. This is grace. I will give you, I'll give you a new heart. Isn't that amazing? This is grace. I will give you a new heart. And I'm going to put a new, I'm going to give you a supply. I'm going to put a new spirit within you. I'm going to take you out of heart of stone that's under the law. Struggling to obey man. My name's going to profane. You're careless. You're carefree. I'm going to take you out of heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you a spirit of supply within you. I'm going to clean you up. Give your heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. I will put my spirit within you and I'm going to cause the Christian to follow and to walk in my statutes you will keep my judgments. You will do them. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. When we speak on on the land, the grace of the saved, to sin, and yet God says, "Our God, come a time that people's nigger will be my end, people's nigger will live in former. My name's going to be seen as unholy. That's just giving me a bad reputation." He said, "Well, I'm going to gather them together. I'm going to cleanse them." Uh, to give their heart a stone that speaks of coldness, immovable, may use for much. So I'm going to take out by grace. May you, it's may you that changes your heart. It's may you that causes you to follow his judgment. But there will be a supply. Fear God by grace. We have a new heart, a new spirit that changes the heart of the Christian. That looks at his moral law and this, oh, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that. And you start saying, I want. I want. Nay, obeying under the law, I don't really want to do it, I have to do it. God will give you a new heart. 
generous because I'm generous. Because I've got a generous God. If I'm forgiven, I want to be forgiven. I'll be a forgiven person. Because God gave me a new heart before, I could not forgive that. If I've ever done to me, I could, I could not forgive. It's too much, it's too big. But God does a miracle in my heart. I know I'm on a journey. I've never mastered this. But I want to forgive him. That's a miracle. That's a miracle of grace. Supply and standing. I'm going to end with this verse. How are we? You still Lima? Are you doing good for time? Can't wait to get here and watch Emma Del Far or something. He said, I'm not great. Right. Verse 13. This is, this is just before the main verse. Romans 6, verse 13. This is, for me, the clincher. I love that Jesus says, it's like Ezekiel. And Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands. He's like, if you enter into this love, you will obey. Because I'll be a right stand and a supply to obey. But it says this in verse 13. How do we then live the Christian victorious life under grace? Do not present your members, this is your, your body it's speaking about, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Paul is saying, look, you're saved, you're justified through faith, but this is on you. And he's saying, this is on the body of Christ. Do not present your body as an instrument to unrighteousness, to sin. Prefer what you do instead. But present yourself to God as being alive from the dead. Your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So he's saying this. You've got a body, you've got a world, you've got emotions. You have the opportunity to be saved and to present yourself as an instrument on righteousness to sin. But he doesn't say you can present yourself as a members to unrighteousness to sin. And then the other option, he doesn't say, or you can present yourself the members of your body as an instrument to righteousness. He says something else before he says presenting yourself to righteousness. He says present yourself to God as alive in him, as an instrument to righteousness. We have had an opportunity being saved, being set free, whether this body that God has placed man. I can use it as an instrument of carelessness, carefulness, uncarefulness, immoral, fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Or I can use this to present myself to God. Have you did that yet? Have you presented yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness, alive in hand? If you did that yet, I think people maybe pray a prayer of salvation 
than dinner ever. Present themselves to God as an instrument of righteousness. And say, here I am, Lord. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah sees the Lord in his fullness in the temple. And God's looking for somebody to send. And Isaiah feels so undone. He says, you can't send me. I've got filthy mouth and I'm at my people's unclean as well. He says that fire came from heaven, touched his lips. And then what did he say? He, I'm ready to go. Well, if I go to Isaiah chapter 1 to 5. He, that guy was still preaching in Isaiah 1 to 5. But there came a moment that something happened that now I'm presenting myself to God to be an instrument of righteousness. And you look at churches and you look at believers and you look at how people are gone and they're saved and they're saved hope and they're heaven bound. If they presented themselves to God as an instrument or righteousness, or are they just saved and living loose? I think when God moves and I'm their, I'm their prophet, I think God's got to correct grace. And we're going to see a move of holiness and grace. Mm-hmm. That holiness came and it was a great move of God. The holiness movement, I love the preaching for that era, so... So thick with scripture and depth. Somehow, some people, a generation, Nehabdi, it just became legalism. It's did for the dead, so that's how they thought they made themselves right with God. And then the move of grace, the Father's heart, wonderful. To realize that God is your Father and He's graceful and He's loving. But as well, there's a devilish tangent or incredible looseness upon the church. Incredible, or saved, or heaven bounds, or fire, lights us on our But God will hear his church. And God is coming back, Christ is coming back for a holy instrument of righteousness, grace-filled church. Do you believe that? Amen. He's coming back for a loose, adulterous church, spiritual adultery I'm speaking about. It's so careless. When I care about God's moral law, I don't think Jesus is coming back for that pride. I think he's coming back for something dazzling, something pure and something holy. An instrument. That's where you got an instrument. I'm not going to say in ideas. <laughs> that instrument is under law. It's so capable of a good tune. Can that guitar play you a tune? Just snoop on its own. Why not? It's got all the capacity to do it. It just isn't in the right standing and there's no supply. It's an instrument. It's not useful for nothing yet. But sitting there is well, it could be a log for the fire. It's not doing nothing. I don't like instruments now getting used. An instrument that doesn't get used is a waste of time. It's just a bony ornament. But under grace, did you care I was part of the worship team? (laughs) (laughs) I'm there while I sing, because I went yesterday. But but under grace, in the hands of somebody that can just play a tune. 
Paul says, offer you up as an instrument. But with the hand of God, none of the doing much. But in the hand of God, we have a different standing and a different, uh, a different supply. Somebody that can just uh, play a tune. And the Christian life is, uh, <laughs> it's hard to speak while playing a tune. The Christian life is, you being in unison with God, and Ham just twigging your heart day by day, first marking the melody, just me or just the guitar. Apostle Paul says, You're an instrument. You can do what you want. Present yourself to God, alive in Him, in His hands, and then the Ezekiel thing. I'll give you a new heart, I'll give you a new spirit, my hands upon you. I'll mark the, let's mark the melody together. And let's mark a tune that the world will hear and know of it. They've got something. They've really got something. Well, pray. Time is gone. <coughs> Jesus, we have said a lot of words. But God, we pray that you'd mark it real in our hearts. For it is to come under the true power of grace that would change our standing, that was so different for under the laugh and it was about striving and about sinful people trying to become good. But we thank you that under grace, that the goodness of God has already been lavished upon us, that we have been rescued for the depths of hell, we've been rescued for a sinful life, that we have been resurrected, the sign of the empty tomb, that the resurrection life now lives in us. Quicken us, we pray. And we pray as we would come before you, we would present ourselves to you as an instrument of righteousness. God, that the Holy Spirit would live and breathe through us. Ensure the world a good God, a compassionate God, a God of holiness, a God of righteousness. God, that you would visit us again by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would refine us, that we would come shining forth as gold. We thank you for your people, the church, the body of Christ. We thank you for the wonderful truths contained in these pages. And God, we pray that you simply see the truth Lord Jesus, upon our hearts, protect us fair. God, the enemy coming with little bits of truth to try and take us away for your good plan and your good purpose. And God, we right now receive the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ upon our lives and give us that heart that you promised, a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. God, may we want to obey you. You says if we was to love you, we would obey your commands. Nay, yeah, yet again, under the power of the law, but under grace. Change our hearts, we pray. Give us a heart that wants to follow you, that's intimate with you. Get us caught up in the romance that is Jesus Christ, and let our lives be changed forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Thank you. A lot of stuff tonight, eh? Do you like a donkey work? <laughs> it was just an example. I'm gonna play the guitar in about ten years. No. 